everybody, and welcome back to Podcana episode 27. Exciting news this week as the meta starts to evolve, rotate, etc. So we had some tournaments happen this last weekend. I know a lot of people were playing Sealed because it was release weekend, but we have some constructed data to go off. Also, we have our personal experience on the ladder. Last week's top meta decks have shifted a bit, and we have a new deck, a new sort of marquee deck break into the meta in the form of Ruby Sapphire, a deck that we are very much enjoying. We'll be sharing lists with you this week. Um... But anyway, how was y'all's week in Lorcana? Kawai, I, I know you got to go and play in person. And Moin, I know you've been grinding the ladder a little bit. So let's hear about it. Yeah, it was great. Uh, release weekend was amazing. Uh, my favorite thing about it was I went to two different local game stores and I actually saw a stock on the shelf. That was just, <laughs> that was just amazing to see, honestly. There was plenty of people that would just come into the shop and buy troves. So, you know, more people clearly getting into the game. Uh, there was a great turnout for both of the sealed events that I played, and it was my first time playing sealed. Uh, very interesting format. Makes a lot of sense on the first week of a new set or new expansion because most people will be buying packs and stuff like that anyways. Um, so yeah, I messed around with that. I did pull an Enchanted Sisu, so that was the highlight of my my weekend. Um, and I've also been messing around a little bit on uh, Pixelborn, but obviously not as much as, as you boys. As I, uh, I imagine we're going to talk a lot today about a particular list that seems to be uh, shining strongly at the moment, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll just preface this, preface this before Moyen tells us about his past week, is that Moyen sends lists in the group chat, and I remember um, the other night, like two days ago, before I got on my flight from Barcelona back to Texas, he sends some Ruby Sapphire deck, and I was like, ooh, sheesh, what's this spice? <laughs> and, <laughs> And uh, and yes, there it is. We have our control deck of the format. But anyway, Moin, you're weak. Um, yeah, so basically Ruby Sapphire was, was already emerging. So it wasn't my idea, but I saw a lot of potential in the deck. And I think the deck wasn't very well built. So I sat down a couple of days and tried to, to optimize the deck. And it's, I, I don't think it's nowhere near optimal yet, but it, it's, it's already in a very scary form. Um, since the emergence of, of the of the Ruby Sapphire deck, we've already seen um, the popularity of, of aggro increase on the on the Pixelborn ladder. So uh, Amber Amethyst is also making a little bit of a comeback. Um, although it's very bad against Steel, it's one of the only decks that can really go head to head against uh, Ruby Sapphire. Mm-hmm. So obviously very, very early days for the meta, but does feel like we're in a bit of a rock, paper, scissors format right now. And that is that Ruby Sapphire beats Amber Steel, the Wheel Steel deck. Amber Steel beats Amethyst Amber, Amethyst Amber, right? Um, or the Aggro deck. And then the Aggro deck beats Ruby Sapphire, the control deck. That being said, it feels pretty good because rock paper scissors meta rock paper scissors metas is it's probably a term you've heard um they can be both healthy and unhealthy so usually when they're unhealthy is when the margins on those on those sort of win losses uh you know wherever you are positioned in the triangle are you know they're quite large so if it's like 70 30 into your bad matchup or 80 20 it doesn't feel as good but right now um at least for the from the ruby sapphire perspective it does feel like you have a lot of game into your bad matchup into the aggro deck and you can you know, build your deck in a way that you're going to be better positioned for that matchup. That being said, my experience with um, 
with the Amber Steel deck, or at least facing against it, seems like it's uh, quite the underdog against um, against Ruby Sapphire. I think that that could undergo some evolution. They could add in some more cards potentially uh, that are not immediately apparent to me to help them in that matchup because the Amber Sapphire, or sorry, the Ruby Sapphire is a bit is a bit uh, is a bit newer. So we'll see. But overall, the, the meta feels healthy. It feels in flux, so it's a good time to be playing constructed. Um, there, the Pixelborn ladder, by the way, was updated. The system was updated. So I think if you're below Grandmaster, there was no change. But if you're in Grandmaster now, it's some some system where you have to win like three out of a best of five, I believe. Is that correct, Moyan? Um, kind of. So basically, you have to win either three in a row or three out of four games mm. to gain 10 points on the ladder once you are Grandmaster. And as soon as you fail to do that, so you lose two out of X games, it just resets, and then you have to try to win three out of four games again. And I think it can be a little problematic when there's no downside to losing, and all, all that matters is you play like the volume of games you play to get uh, enough of these 10 point increments in. And also, it incentivizes you to concede the second game if you lose your first game of a four game series. Mm -hmm. And that's also not where, really where we want to be. Yeah, I actually I, I saw uh, the um, developer of Pixelborn kind of... Basically, when he introduces these changes, he'll ask the people on Patreon their opinion if they think it's a good system or not. And he kind of first compared it, like, like you said there, Moin, it nearly feels like a little mini Hearthstone Arena run where it's like, okay, so it's like your four games. If you lose your first one, then I should probably just concede my second one so I can kind of reset it again. The benefit of it that I noticed that the developer said was that it enables players within Grandmaster to feel like they can experiment and play other decks without kind of risking their rank as much. But I mean that that's a that's a valid point. However, the reason why people are in Grandmaster is because they probably play the best decks. They want to play the best decks. They want to get as high as they can. You know what I mean? So it doesn't make too much sense, but. Um, I do see something here in the notes, uh, Brennan. Is it true that they have actually have they switched no, no, no. to monthly ladder? That's uh that's my suggestion to be so um yeah. Oh, first of all, talking about that system, it, it's an interesting change. I understand from like a philosophical perspective, wanting the grandmaster players to be able to experiment a bit more. Uh that's interesting in the context of ladder. I don't think that your top end ladder should be based off of that imperative right like that's just a it's an odd thing to change because this uh, this idea that you don't lose rank and you only go up also leads to like hyper rank inflation uh to an extent which is not fun during a season because if you're a grandmaster player and someone gets exceedingly far ahead due to disposable time obviously win rates are part of that it feels a bit demoralizing um so an interesting system I, it's I, I think that the developer is open to change so it's not like just here to stay um I would say I'm not not definitely I'm not really a fan of it. Also, Pixelborn is a free software, and the card there is no card acquisition system, so you could always create a alternate account that might lead to people smurfing. But I don't really I don't even know if smurfing is a is a concept in card games. You know, it's more of like a like a League of Legends or just you know other game kind of thing. My my solution or not my solution, but one suggestion that I hope they would implement in the future after experiencing last season is I wish we would move to a more frequent ladder reset. Um, cadence because you know especially if you saw the leaderboard at all last season some people got very very far ahead and then it kind of felt a bit dull towards the end at least for competing for grandmaster i know it's pixelborn there's no reason to to really compete other than bragging rights but i you know instead of every set i would 
Personally, I think it would be more interesting and exciting if the ladder reset every single month. I think that would lead to, uh, I'd be more incentivized to sort of compete and do that, you know, because like the first week is the most fun where you get to sort of blitz for that, those high rankings. But yeah, that's why that's in the notes there. It's just a suggestion that I had that I think would lead to a more engaging ladder system. Mm-hmm. I, I think monthly reset is definitely needed, in, in my opinion, at least. Go ahead, Mike. I think first of all, monthly reset helps and optimally I would want the, the ladder system to be in a state where the, the higher rank you are, the harder it is to climb so that it's not, um, so that it's almost impossible or very, very hard to gain a lead while being already in the first place. So if you're, if you're already rank one, it should be extremely hard, um, to have a win rate high enough to actually gain a, a big leap in comparison to the other players and I think that will keep the ladder fresh at all times and will have every top player have a chance if they have a, a high win rate or a high streak that they can also catch up to those ranks even without playing a billion games. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that sort of concludes our headlines. We're going to dive. I mean, the main topic of this podcast is diving into the emerging top deck list specifically we'll be talking a lot about uh that sapphire ruby deck list um but we do have some listener questions and comments from the previous episodes we call i know we used to call this the spilled ink section um in pod canada this was like this is like six months ago which is funny (laughs) um but these questions and comments were fielded on youtube so if you want to get yours right out on the podcast you can shoot us a comment on youtube so the first one comes from christopher gordon they say the new wheel steel deck uh decks are playing cinderella with let the storm rage on and it's really good they're also playing one drop playing one drop when into shift queen to set up for a turn three a whole new world uh they also get better late game by adding big cinderella which i can confirm is really tough to deal with um just want to get your thoughts. I guess I guess we can zoom out a little bit on the the wheel steel deck and some of the additions that were made to that deck list and how competitive it is in the current environment. You can start there, more. I'm sure you've encountered it more more than than myself <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, I think it has a lot of um, crazy additions. I think Cinderella let the storm rage on, and even Strength of a Raging Fire is really, is really strong. Strength of a Raging Fire you sing less often, but it's another song that can be sung by Cinderella. That's searchable by area and can surface removal later um, with an, a much easier <laughs> to, to read condition than uh, what's it called? World's Greatest criminal Villain mind. or something? Yeah, Criminal Mind. World's Greatest Criminal Mind. Um, I think that cuts decent too, but in, in my most of my versions I have seen myself cutting it because it's the most conditional. The only downside to cutting that cut is then your deck does actually struggle a lot with answering the resist to Cinderella. That's it. your only really efficient way to get rid of it. So if there's a lot of mirrors, you yeah, might that's want... a great removal tool for the. I never thought of that. That's a great removal tool yeah. for the Cindy. Yeah, and it's not just a great removal. It's also if you don't play that, your deck doesn't have removal for it unless you have a strength of a raging fire that hits for seven or something. <laughs> um, so the the deck got a lot more consistent with the songs that it could add. Um, for Ariel, but at the same time, there's a lot of other ways it got um, better. So there's the the queen you can shift into into the wheel. You can shift into Cinderella for the wheel. I think Beast is an absolutely crazy card that you can play mm-hmm. uh, with Lantern um, to get some some draw in very very early in the game. Mm-hmm. And I personally think Chief Bogo is also a really really good card because you actually end up playing a lot of flood plants uh, naturally already. 
Yeah, so the previous iteration of the list was using the one drop captain hook and the five drop captain hook and shifting that on to uh, turn three whole new world. But that five drop captain hook didn't really do anything. I guess it was a little bit anti aggro. Um, it had the challenger, but it couldn't be challenged by like basically. Uh, low drops overall you're you're using it to cast a whole new world on three and i guess the queen is just a better version of that so definitely an upgrade for the deck does seem to be at least week one or weekend one we'll go over this tournament we have from manchester seems like it was the deck to play um which makes sense it was definitely the well not definitely but it was probably the most powerful deck of chapter one and people just slotted in the good cards to it and took it to some tournament wins which yeah i'm not surprised at that the next question here comes from uh, Roro Bear. They say, Am- amazing episode as always. This is my favorite podcast, period. I'm curious if Lore Lost Cards may... Uh, if Lore Lost Cards, many dismissed as bad, myself included, are worth a second look now that... Uh, worth a second look now, dash, two drop Lady Tremaine, Honest John, etc. The Aladdin package will go a long way towards slowing down aggro, I think. Moin, what are your thoughts on the uh no shift? don't ask me yes 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 <laughs> shift because so, I, I i was suggesting this to moyen actually a couple days ago when we were getting beat up by the aggro deck so i was like what about adding shift aladdin in and moyen definitely had some opinions yeah i really wanted you not to ask me because sometimes people don't like me being too negative on the podcast and i'm not negative I'm just, I feel like I'm just like a little honest, little more realistic honest is the word for it. Yeah. yeah, very, very <laughs> honest. I don't like to talk around it. And I think the, the minus lore cards are still pretty bad. Um, I think aggro becoming a little bit more popular with, with blue red becoming more popular makes it, makes them less bad, but I think it doesn't make them good all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I'm sorry that I have to say it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for this podcast, uh, Kal was definitely our resident aggro player. So, Kal, are these cards are these cards that you're afraid to or afraid to face? It's really interesting. I have faced uh, one or two people kind of playing it, and you know, if it goes down by one or goes down by two, it can it can slow you down for a turn, I guess. But it's still nowhere near as good as just removing a card. If that makes sense, like. All, all it does <laughs> most of the time is delay the inevitable. There's that one chance or that one game where it's like, okay, I drew the card to stop you from literally winning the game. And because I did that, I can then win the game. But majority of the time, it, it, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> I don't want to say irrelevant because it's not irrelevant, but it, mm-hmm. it will feel, it, as the aggro player, it feels irrelevant a lot of the time. Like I said, unless you're literally at the very end of the game and it saves you. But the amount of times that that has happened, uh, against me from my opponent where that one minus lore card has saved them is it's pretty much negligible mm. it, it just it just doesn't happen but again that's just my experience and my opinion i i will say i do like the idea of a card like honest john mainly because like we saw with chief boga right like playing many floodborne characters it's some decks you don't even have to build around it too much naturally you might run a lot of floodborne characters so a card like honest john if you're consistently just playing cards and it's going to be minusing the lore it's not too bad but i i do think that i don't think that you should be building your your deck around that like i don't think you should be building your deck around a strategy to keep making your opponent lose their lore you should probably be building a deck to Stop them from questing rather than <laughs> taking their lore away, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I think to, it makes a lot of sense. I think to pers- provide mm-hmm. a different perspective on the question, I don't mind mm-hmm. the Shift Aladdin package if, like, you're in a hyper aggro meta. It's like extreme. Like, if the, if the meta 
uh, pie is very aggro dominated and it's your worst matchup by a long shot. I think that having shift Aladdin, the shift Aladdin package could be ne- could be fine in that scenario. But what I will say, and I think I think that the Aladdin three drop is a categorically bad card. I've thought this since the very beginning. The 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 thing is is about this question is you're, it's a two tiered question, right? And the first part of the question is, do you think that Aladdin the three drop by itself is a good card? And our answer to that, and I think that, yeah, it sounds like our answer to that, all of us, is that the answer is no. But I would say even last matter, there was people that definitely agreed. They thought that that card was playable by itself in the deck, um, outside of the use case of shifting Aladdin. Uh, I will say, I think that, yeah, the three drop Aladdin is not a good card you shouldn't have in your deck. I would only add in my deck if I really felt like I needed to shift Aladdin in order to, to win games. But even that, even with that, I would prefer to look for different options to stem the the aggression uh, of my opponent's deck than shifting a card like Aladdin because it's very risky, right? You effectively two for one yourself. You open yourself up to some nasty removal. Maybe your aggro decks, your aggro opponents don't have it, but um, it's just not my in, the immediate strategy I look for. It's kind of a last resort, and I think honestly, after we were brewing a bit. Uh, the past weekend when we were getting beat up by aggro, we built the Ruby Steel deck that didn't shift Aladdin. And I think that currently in the game, there's other options that you can employ that are not shifting your Aladdin to to sort of ward off aggro. And I would go there first. That makes sense. Yeah, so basically there's better ways to beat aggro than having to put shift Aladdin into your deck, which is uh, rather bad card in most other matchups that aren't aggro. Mm-hmm. Next question is from Boomer. They say, "Question for you guys: Do you still uh, do you still think we can afford to have vanilla cards without any abilities in our decks?" So we need to define vanilla cards. Is is Lilo a vanilla card and Maleficent and Pinocchio? Technically, has no text, right? So very powerful <laughs> vanilla card. So those we can definitely afford to have in our deck. Some decks can of aff- some decks can afford to have one cost two twos. Um, because of a lack of, of better one-drops, or it might even be better than some other one-drops in, in that particular deck if it's just there to be able to quest sometimes but trade other times. Um, but more expensive than that, I can't really think of in the last that are, that are good. Uh, like, there was... My, um, my best... Uh, Cerberus, Cerberus, right? That's that's like the, the biggest one of last yeah, I think that I think Cerberus' time is kind of over, yeah, to so, be honest. Yeah. Uh, like another card I can just think of is like I know in set one Specy since we're talking about kind of uh, Amber Amethyst Specy was really high on the three drop Mickey that just quests for two but mm-hmm. I think there's just better things you could be playing than that at this stage of the yeah, game now, now right? we like, have Doc for example oh Doc is ridiculous yeah basically we had the deadline of three three quest for two that was sometimes okay to run in set one but now they printed a lot of different three cost two threes, so they sacrifice one attack and, and quest for two, but they have an additional effect that's better than what they lose by having one less attack. So those are kind of out of the question as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like the vanilla drops on the lower end of the curve are much more playable than the ones on the higher end of the curve. That being said, um, yeah, it's very possible we progress one, two, three more sets and we have cards that are identical to the powerful vanilla uh, one or two drops that we're playing now, but they have text on them. And then in that case, we would not play, be playing the vanilla cards. It's kind of like an easy 
sort of like power creep, like not very, it is technically power creep, but it doesn't feel like nasty at all. You just, you know, we have like a uh, Pinocchio, but now it has maybe some text as the power level of the game starts to rise. Uh, I know for me, it's terrifying to even think about that because Pinocchio is so freaking powerful. <laughs> it, is, it is very important though, like you said, Brennan, to specify that the lower drop cards, the lower drop vanilla cards that quest for a lot are playable. But I want you guys, the listeners, to please don't take away from this. Oh, we're saying that the nine drop Goofy is playable <laughs> because he's not. <laughs> he's definitely not at the moment. If you want to have fun, go for it. But uh, yeah, I, I would. It's gonna be really interesting. I don't. I. I don't think that card will ever. This is some. I mean, you, you can never, never say never, right? Like in a, in a few sets, maybe. Yeah. But I can just never imagine the game getting to the stage where I just play this huge card and I'm gonna win. In a in a meta that has so many ways of removing things, like as the as the para creep will naturally happen, I think that card's actually just gonna get worse and worse. But mm-hmm. it's interesting. The card is bad against aggro and it's bad against control, right? It's bad against aggro because it doesn't impact the board early, and it's bad against control because control trades uh, can value trade it with. I don't know. The thing about this kind of card game, um, like Lorcana or any somewhat inconsistent resource based system. Um, like those cards are actually playable, uh, in certain decks because your opponent can still lose to it if your opponent draws really poorly or like doesn't draw their inkables and their deck is really is you know constructed in a way that they I don't know they have a high variance of inkables like you can still win games like there, there definitely exist card games where there are cards that are legitimately unplayable like in Flesh and Blood it's a the it's a very balanced game because it's tied to its re- its resource system and there are certainly cards that. In no way, in any casual setting, are those cards even playable. They're just objectively bad. They're underrate. But these cards, they're bad in the meta, um, and they're bad in the context of what sort of removal exists and what answers that card is supposed to be solving. Uh, but ultimately, I think that they're still playable. If you wanna, if you wanna build like a goofy deck, right? You can probably do it. All right. I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to agree, but I, I, I don't know. Like if you're saying that this goofy won me, if you ever say that this goofy won me the game, it's either an incredibly rare coincidence. Or most of the time, I would say your opponent drew really badly, or your opponent played really badly. Mm. But yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be too negative. Well, against it, but you could say it was it was in my winning list, and then ink it every time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I <laughs> use it only as ink. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, even in the best case scenario where it sticks, um, it would also need to be a spot where you couldn't have done anything better with nine ink than just develop this goofy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's. Maybe a hyper, hyper ramp list where you're just trying to get the biggest bodies out. Uh, you'd still probably rather have a body that does something more than stats. Yeah, you, if you other... want to ramp, then first you need to clear the bot, and then you need to uh, play bodies that each time you play them, they clear one unit. Yeah, yeah. they need to remain. All right, last question here is from Stacking Coins. They say, you guys, th- do you guys think that Amber Amethyst just gets trash canned by Steel Song? Um, like, it seems like it just straight loses every game against Steel. Uh, I think like we talked about at the top, the in the triangle meta, yes. Uh Amber Amethyst does does have a bad matchup into Steel Song. I mean Steel seems like the color that is sort of designed and functions to keep these aggro decks in check. Like it is just inherently good against aggro, it seems so. I mean I, I would say yes. I'm assuming you guys would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So basically I think in this triangle of those three matchups that are favored for one side, I think this is one of the ones where the margin is a little big to be um to be healthy and the other one is steel amber into um into ruby sapphire mm-hmm. i think th- those two matchups are really bad for the f- side that's unfavored 
um, which is why I think that the Ruby Sapphire deck would be a really good deck to to bring if you wanna wanna win some games. Because mm -hmm. even the even so even the bad matchup is not as bad as the bad matchup from the other two decks in this triangle matter. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that concludes our spill the ink section. I'm still gonna I still gotta see if that name's gonna stick. To be honest, if you want to get your question read out on next week's podcast, um, shoot us a comment on YouTube and we'll get it queued up. All right. The main topic is the new emerging lists. Honestly, we're gonna be focusing mostly on blue red item ramp. Uh, this uh, blue the blue red deck. And sorry if I say blue red sometimes and not sapphire ruby. It takes a while to sort of get that in the get that queued up in your brain. Uh, this seems like the new control deck, like ruby ruby amethyst, or at least the ruby amethyst of chapter one. If you wanted to like port the chapter one deck and chapter two, feels relatively unplayable into this deck. This deck is just so much better. It has more control. It has more draw, which is insane. Um, and it's super powerful. By the way, if you're listening to this on pod platforms or on YouTube, the lists are in the description below. But Let's let's hit this let's hit this Ruby Sapphire list from a high level. What is the deck trying to do? What is the function of the deck? Uh Moyne, you want to explain it to us? Yeah, well, of course. So basically the deck doesn't try to compete for early game, instead it, it tries to get ahead in ink early. So that it then can recover the game once it hits certain ink points. It can recover the game as early as maybe a turn four Maui. Um but also you could instead even ramp on turn four, one more ink on, on four ink and then hit the seven ink mark uh, a little earlier and then you can go um, be prepared very early. Or you can have a couple of popsicles on the board and Scar can do the same job as be prepared without clearing your own board. So it has eight board clears on, on seven ink, which is absolutely crazy. Um, but so the added extra board of Scar is a big reason why the stack got so much better but the other point that was holding it back in set one is that it was missing card draw mm -hmm. and it got the card draw in the form of popsicles because popsicles replace themselves already and you can draw cards of them of judy hops of um how do you pronounce this flavor sham flavor sham yeah uh, and then tomatoa can bring back popsicles instead of items that have take a long time to um, to get value can just time a tower to get back a popsicle. Every time it quests, you get back a popsicle. And you can draw extra cards of the of the workshop. So it has an insane amount of card draw and extra card uh, extra clears to recover the game once you get to, to seven ink. So I think it's very hard to try to beat this deck um, from an angle that's not aggression. Yeah, and the card that recurs the popsicle as well is Nick Wild, the four drop. So you're able to snag that the graveyard. You can do it at Tamatoa at the eight drop, or you can do it at the four drop as well. And this this Flabbersham card is really the key. Like this card is insane. So when it comes down, you banish the popsicle and draw two cards. But also when you quest, you can do it as well. So it serves as sort of a two card engine at the point. I mean, obviously you need to be recurring those things out of the graveyard, but you can also banish other items. Obviously, popsicle is probably the most efficient because it draws a card on, upon coming in. But you also have like one cost scepters. You have the one cost shields in red um this deck also runs maury's workshop which is the three cost uninkable item that lets you pay one whenever you play an item to draw a card so th the amount of draw in this deck is just 
absolutely freaking ridiculous. Judy Hops, like you said. I mean, Judy Hops, what it can also do is in the mirror, you can banish your opponent's item so that you can prevent them from drawing two. You can make them draw one instead. Not sure if that's what you want to be doing, but it's an option. This this deck has so much draw. It has way more draw than the previous Ruby Amethyst Control deck did. Um, and it's a ramp deck as well. So you're like... Not only are you drawing more cards than the previous control deck, but you're also playing out these really, really powerful high-end curve uh, characters early in the game. So you get to that 6 ink, that 7 ink really early, and you're able to be prepared. You're able to play Scar, clear the board. You're able to Lady Tremaine. Like, Lady Tremaine, like in this card is... Um, some people refer to it as an edict because that's kind of the function of what it's doing in the context of like the Magic the Gathering term. I didn't think a 6-drop edict was going to be good in Lorcana, but this card is so good because you clear the board and your opponent plays their one big drop at a hand and then this just clears it and it's it's just such a powerful card it's you like the cheapest possible to be uh two for one mm -hmm. and you have maleficent in this in this deck as well so it's just this is like this it's so funny because i said last uh, in chapter one that ruby amethyst was the best expression of a control deck that i've ever played in a game and i have to be honest like this deck feels even better. This deck is so fun to play. You draw so many freaking cards. You actually have more diverse, uh, I think, decision trees and lines in the Ruby Amethyst deck. Mm -hmm. The Ruby Amethyst deck was relatively complex, but this one, you can you kind of you can take interesting lines to draw more cards, you know, play for tempo or play for uh play for board. It's it's just definitely a joy to play. So there's this is the version that we play is different than the most popular version. When I say most popular, I went to dreamboard.inc. I went to decks this deck was the number one deck <laughs> in terms of everything. And that was the one that was created by Zef uh, YouTube. And our, our deck list is significantly different at this point. I think that a lot of deck lists have migrated away from the, uh, from this version at this point. This is like the earliest version. Uh, that being said, you know, we're playing cards like one jump ahead um, to get even more ramp. Uh, and we're very much focused on the card draw and control aspect of the deck where this one felt um a little bit more mid-ragey i don't know it was playing the grandma Talos, so we definitely have a different package at that and yeah great deck if you haven't played it i highly suggest it in terms of the triangle meta i feel like this this deck it's it's probably not favored it's not favored in aggro right but your aggro matchup no, no, is not at all your aggro matchup is like in terms of the gap between you, uh, this deck, and its bad matchup, it feels like it's smaller than the than the other decks in that triangle meta and their bad matchups. So it seems like it's the most well positioned. Absolutely dunks on the current wheel steel list. That could change, um, and it has a fine matchup in aggro. And I haven't played a lot of the mirror. Played like two or three. Not sure if it's skill expressive or skill testing, but it felt fine. Um, and yeah, it's a cool engine based control deck, and uh, I love it. <laughs> So also the card draw of this deck is not just better than the control deck of set one, but also it's less susceptible to item hate. Mm -hmm. So they can destroy items. They usually already did their job. And like it's not efficient to try to destroy the items of this deck, except maybe the workshop if you if you hit it before a jewel cut, but usually item hate doesn't even hinder your card draw as much. And then so I think the biggest differences to what, how most people play this deck is that we play a four scar, and most people just had two or three. But I think I would play more than four scar if I could. It's it's an incredible card that's um, comparable to be prepared, and be, we all know that be prepared is an absolutely insane card. And then this deck is built in a way where we can kind of maximize the amount of two for ones that we play. Um, by two for ones, I mean cards that have a body, so characters, and when they come down, they already kill something. So 
Um, Maui and Scar can do that, but against non-exerted characters, we we still have a lot of these. We have four Lady Tremains, which, which I think is core to the deck. We have four Maleficence. Um, we have one Hades. This, it's the only one that, I was, that I'm cutting down on because uh, it's it's... If you compare it to the other ones, it's just the worst one of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it also gives them an ink, right? It, it, is, it is targetable in comparison to Lady Tremaine, but I think the upside of Lady Tremaine costing one less and not giving them ink uh, is much higher than the upside of Hades being targetable. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic deck, and it's relatively straightforward. So, like, if, you're, if you've never seen this deck list before, you've never played it, uh, let's talk about some key key lines, right? Um, the Tamatoa and the Bell as top end are kind of red herrings. I mean, they're relevant. You'll play them, but they're not actually where, where the engine exists, and they're not what the core function of this deck. They're kind of just top end in, in, in scenarios where they're good. They're good. Uh, I wouldn't look too much into them. The core engine is the Favisham, the Nick Wild, and the Popsicle. So basically, you play down Popsicle on like one or something like that. You play Flavisham on four. You banish the Popsicle. You draw two cards. Um, then you play Nick Wild or something like that on five. And then you play the Popsicle again, <laughs> uh, because you've recurred it from the, the Banish Zone with Nick Wild. And then your Flavisham is untapped and can quest. Now it's turn five. And so it quests and banish the Popsicle again. You draw two more cards. Like, it's insane. Then that's kind of the key little engine that you're doing. Um, outside of that, you're just ramping and then you're playing a control deck. And it's relatively straightforward, to be honest. Um, Moyen, what is the, what, what is your advice for mulliganing with this deck? Um, so this deck has a lot of uninkables. And it has a lot of ramp, and it's basically you want to hit the ramp, but at the same time you, you want to still ink every turn, because other if you're just playing a, a Mickey Mouse or one jump ahead without inking that turn, and it's basically just as if you inked a card that turn. So you don't have the luxury of mulliganing too aggressively with the stack, because you need to, to find your ink. And then once you do find your ink, you're looking for, um, to connect your combo pieces. I'm, I'm saying combo pieces, it's stuff like Popsicle plus... Nick White or Popsicle plus uh, Flay, Flavor something? Yeah, Flavor Sham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so if if you already have a, a decent hand, you can maybe afford to try to look for your ramp a little bit more. So look for One Jump Head and uh, Mickey Mouse a bit more. And if you had insanely good, maybe you can already um, start keeping the recovery tools, but usually they're pretty easy to find as well. Oh, it's, it brings me back to one of the, the changes or one of the differences to... The common version of this deck is that um, I put for develop your brain in, into the deck, mm-hmm. which can help you in the early game. If you don't need the develop your brain for, for ink, uh, you can try to hit your Mickey Mouse or one jump ahead of this. And also later, it, it can help you if you need specific answers to threats. So if you um, need a, a popsicle that's still missing or something that banishes the popsicle, or if you just need a threat like Tamatoa for late game, or if you still need to clear the board for with Be Prepared Oscar, it can really help um, give you the right uh, tools that that you need to deal with the, the current situation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some of the other biggest differences are the four one jump ahead uh, at the two drop slot. And then also the the most popular is they play four Fishbone Quill. We play zero. Um, I just found that card to be not good in pretty much every way in this deck so the thing is is like when you're when you're trying to capitalize on morris's workshop when you're trying to banish items with flavisham in order to draw cards the cheaper the card is 
the better. Or cheaper the item is, the better. <laughs> so if yeah, you're playing a expensive item and you're banishing it, that's not very good. If you're having to pay an additional, it's not as good. And like the popsicle is is ultra cheap, right? Because it, it draws a card, so it effectively replaces itself, and it only costs one ink. So those are really the items you want to be banishing. Yeah. It's basically the, the you want the item you want to be banishing uh, to be as cheap as possible, and you want to get as much value out of it before you banish it also as possible. Mm-hmm. And Fishbone isn't very good for that, so it would need to be good a good item on its own, and I just don't think it's that. Um, it basically gives you the like uh, the bell effect, right? But without the body, and instead being an item, and I, I think basically all of these cards are just such good value and or enable v- really powerful stuff, and I don't think Quill is really needed for that. I think uh, 4-1 Jump Ahead for Mickey Mouse is... The much better ramp in comparison, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and I think I think the popular versions were playing one jump heads, right? Oh, Hopefully. were they? I guess I didn't see them in this. Yeah. No, not the the most popular version. So, like I said, when I say oh, they are, they were playing three. I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they were playing three, and we're playing four. Yeah. So sorry, I missed that. Um, one thing I'll say, I want to say in closing here is that for me. <laughs> This really feels like the best deck right now. I mean, meta context, it could change if it's like the meta is very much hyper aggro. But outside of that, like I said, the wheel steel matchup feels extremely favorable. Every matchup that is not extreme aggro, like Amber Amethyst, feels very, very favorable. So any mid-range matchups, any control matchups, so if you're playing it's like Ruby Amethyst control, you're, oh my god, you're so favored. Um, this deck feels like the best deck in the game uh, for me right now. And it it feels super solid. I don't even know what dethrones this because the issue is, is like, I mean, I feel like all the Amber Steel players have to hop off that deck because the Amber Steel really destroys some of these aggro decks. Um, and yeah, it's just hard to, if the aggro deck is not absolutely destroying the, the blue red deck and it's getting destroyed by Amber Steel, it's just not really a good pick in the meta. So meta context could change it, but in terms of like raw power level, uh, Ruby Sapphire takes it all the way for me in terms of best deck in the format i agree but as as good as the deck is i think we should definitely talk about um the aggro list because we currently think that it's the best way to tackle tackle that that deck Mm -hmm. yeah so the aggro list that we have here is uh amber amethyst it's i'm not sure if we talked about it exactly last week but moin why don't you give us a rundown on what this deck is trying to do yeah, so, so we talked about uh, a deck like this, so a deck of this type that could become that it could could become very very strong in in this set. Um, basically because of the addition of Pinocchio and Arthur mostly, um, and I think that still stands true. So it's 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 not a deck that's trying to be have favorable trades or something. It's just a deck that tries to run away with the game early, and even if you can trade their board. They can still get a lot of quest off just with questing with their stuff once or questing with it, then bouncing it back to hand, replaying it. It's no longer exerted. You can't attack it and trying to quest again. Um, so at its core, it's trying to play, um, on one, it's either trying to play a Lilo or Maleficent to get a lot of, um, quest off early and then play, uh, Simba on two to protect it. Or if you don't have Simba on two to protect it, often you will opt out of playing Lilo Maleficent and you will play Pascal instead to get the repeatable line. And if you can, uh, if you have both Cinderella and um, friends on the other side, then you will often open with that and just get some card advantage while trying to flood the board. And then after that, you're just trying to 
um, maximize the amount of quests that you can gain over over the next few turns. And Arthur really, really helps with that because it means that suddenly Pinocchio is not getting traded every time you uh, you use him. It's just you you can actually use him multiple times while getting three um, three lore of Arthur. Mm-hmm. Also, I think. I didn't expect it at first, but not just the three cost rush metamim is very good in the stack, but also the two cost uh metamim is a is a crazy card in the stack just to sometimes develop it on two, sometimes just ink it, but also other times just reset something that's exerted, or even reset an Arthur if you need to to be able to keep that Arthur um to get over the finish line. Mm-hmm. The- and and also occasionally it can help to to bounce bounce a Merlin for extra card draw, extra ink in the end. The biggest difference between this list and the one we reviewed last week is uh, just-in-time. The previous mm-hmm. lists were just-in-time lists. They were cheating out those like crazy five drops, and we talked about the new one, the 1-9. One um, this list does not play <laughs> just-in-time, and it is just very, very low to the ground. Do you think that this list is superior in uh, in every way, at least against blue-red, than the previous aggro oh, list? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say in every way. I think... Um... After analyzing, analyzing both decks, I think this is the better deck without the just-in-time. I think it's more consistent, and this bounce package is not very easy to fit into the same deck as the just-in-time shell, a uh, just-in-time uh, package. And the just-in-time package can be very, very strong, but it's also much less consistent and uh, for example, for tackling the blue-red matchups, we want to be aggressive consistently, and this aggression can already be enough. So I would say the the just-in-time deck has a, a higher ceiling, but on average, this deck is superior. Mm-hmm. And the last list I want to talk about here is the Amber Steel, so the Wheel Steel list, the updated list. So the list I took was Banable Harka's list, and... Um, someone actually mentioned it on last week's pod. They told us to refer to this list specifically, and this is one of the most popular Amber Steel lists on Dreamboard.nake in terms of like upvotes or downloads or however you however you quantify it. Uh, it's trying to do the same thing that the old Wheel Steel deck did, but it has access to Cinderella um, as well as the Storm card, so as the action, so you can activate Cinderella. It has more. It has more board clear. It has a better uh, turn three, a whole new world in the form of the Queen Shift, and outside of that. Uh, not too many new cards. I mean, the Cinderella one drop is, uh, can be pretty big as well because it's a singer, singer three cards. So it can sing some of those removal cards. Overall, um, this list won a lot of the early weekend one tournaments. It's very, very good against aggro. For facing a lot of aggro, this is a good list to pick up. My experience with this list into the blue-red deck is that this has a extremely bad matchup into the blue-red deck. I think that sometimes... It can get ahead on board, or you can put yourself in a position to. I mean, you have to get super lucky, I think, to mill <laughs> to mill your the opposing blue red player. But it's possible because the blue red player will draw more cards than you. Um, but ultimately, you pick this deck if you're expecting to play against mid range, or you're expecting to play against aggro specifically. This is a very is very very good against aggro. You're after intriguing me, Brendan, because I faced. Believe it or not, I actually faced a few mill decks mm-hmm. uh, this weekend, mostly in the form of uh, Emerald Steel, mm-hmm. doing the same thing that they were kind of doing before. I know this is a deck that you probably, I think this is one of the first decks you tried like ages and ages ago, and you probably haven't returned back to it since. But if we're in a meta where the opposing play is consistently trying to draw cards, I think mill might, might, I'm saying might be able to do something because. 
last meta, I didn't respect it enough. Um, I thought it was okay last meta. I don't think it was anywhere near like you know a, a tier one deck. I wouldn't even call it a tier two deck, but like you know, in certain matchups, it it, it can still put in the work because it's essentially doing uh, a lot like what the uh, Amber Steel uh, wheel deck is doing. You know what I mean? Like again, they were using the small Captain Hook to shift into the bigger Captain Hook and kind of just like just they keep like looping it, looping it with the do it against Lady Tremaine's. It's like super good against aggro because you can loop your um what's it grab your sword so you can keep clearing the board if you want to you can loop your whole new worlds so i'd be interested to see if many people pick up uh mill to try and tackle it but i also think that with mill decks um you also just have to be super lucky with how you draw your cards because if you do a whole new world or whatever sometimes you could end like you could do one whole new world and then suddenly get two or even the other three whole new worlds in your hand and then you well well luckily you can recur it you know you have that yeah, but you, you can have a lot of the recurs in the same hand as well exactly yeah, yeah. so that, that's i think that's the thing that stops it uh and it probably stops it more more times than it helps it but it's definitely interesting to to kind of think like you know that's a potential way to tackle yeah, yeah. i yeah. i assume that so the uh the mill deck uh i assume that it would have a it could have a good matchup in the blue red, but I do think it would probably have a legitimate auto loss into aggro. Uh, I don't know. No, no it's, I think it's completely different. Um, I think the mill deck was um, was actually kind of all right before the emergence of the blue red deck. Mm -hmm. I think the that the mill deck had a very decent shot against uh, real Amber Steel, mm -hmm. and I think it's actually pretty good against aggro, just because it plays the the grab your swords as well. And it plays steel stuff, so I think it's inherently kind of good against Agua. But now blue red it just doesn't beat. It's like any deck that plays a whole new world can't really beat Ram mm. because then that's true. Yeah, yeah. Because and the mill deck uh, specifically has an issue because um, every, if they whole new world, they give blue the cards uh, back after they ramp already, and they can yeah, just, after after they've lost yeah. their entire hand. Yeah, yeah but also at the same time. The, the problem is that the blue-red deck is so good at removing your um, at single-target removal. And that means that you won't be able to sing a whole new world or sing your five-course songs all that often against blue-red, and then you just have such a big tempo that's, that you um, get drained out of the game and can't recover from that. Mm. Um, on the other side, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the Amber Steel deck also has the same issue against blue-red, where a whole new world is just a completely dead card in a lot of situations, and the deck just really can't deal with that. It's it's interesting too because they can Judy Hops your Doctor Facile book, whatever that book is, that discounts your whole new world, which I think is critical to like uh like actually like comboing sometimes. Like they can Judy mm -hmm. Hops to banish it, which is kind of funny. Uh, but uh, Mullion's right. The the categorical categorical imperative there is that. Uh, you can't really like if you're whole new worlding a ramp deck you're usually gonna lose <laughs> it's that, a, that does make sense yeah for sure um especially if you're paying five five ink for that whole new world which yeah. happens too many times against blue red mm -hmm. awesome well yeah anything you guys want to close out with before we sort of move to the to the outro here anything anything in regards to the meta or how you think it might shift as we move forward I mean, just regarding the Ember, and I know we went on a little bit of attention, but regarding the Ember Steel deck that we were covering, um, I want to point out that in that deck, 
World's Greatest Criminal Minds is actually pretty good because you get to play the Shift Queen and then off the Shift Queen, off the, sh uh, the Shift Queen questing, you can basically remove whatever yeah, this, you want. Yeah, it's the support aspect that I mentioned last week, right? Yeah. So like that, that's why that card is inherently better in that list. So basically, yeah, the, the version that I was talking about earlier didn't, wasn't playing real or even, it uh, wasn't even playing real, so it wasn't playing the Queen. And so it wasn't playing World's Greatest Criminal Mind. But if you're playing um, real, then you want to be playing Queen and Shift Queen, and then World's Greatest Criminal Mind is actually a very good song to be playing. Do you think that's enough? Do you think you, you don't need to go crazy with, like... I, I kind of talked about it last week, but, like, saying if you just play cards that are generally good, that just have support, rather than having to build a whole support kind of package to try and make this dream work, right? Like, cards like the Queen are just fine by themselves, but suddenly you pair them with... Um, World's Greatest Criminal Mind, and it's better. Again, another card I can compare is like Maximus, you know what I mean? Like, how many do you think you need to include, or do you think even this example of one queen is enough? Yeah, so basically, I think even without support cards, um, just in an aerial deck, World's Greatest Criminal Mind is already on the edge of being good enough. Maybe you already want to include a few if you need removal for the big Cinderella. So I think as soon as you happen to include something like the queen, as soon as you have your few support cards, that's already good enough for me. To say, okay, now World's Greatest Criminal Mind actually makes the cut. Makes sense, yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, we'll keep our we'll keep our sort of ears on the floor here on the on the metagame. Keep cranking out games. You know, I'm finally back in Texas, so I get to play play some more Lorcana. I, I think overall the new set is is very fun. It's very exciting. There is no, uh, I say there is no clear best deck, but we have our opinions on what the best deck is. There's no deck that's running away at the format. It's very dynamic. Um, you can play sort of any archetype you want, and that that's really cool. But we'll continue to monitor it as it evolves um, week to week. Anyway. If you enjoy this podcast, you listen to it, maybe you listen to it for a while. Number one thing you can do is leave us a review. And I think we actually have to ask you for your help. Unfortunately, we had a bad string of reviews on Apple Podcasts. Might have been done by the same person, but was a little bit of a review bomb. So that really hurts us. It makes us kind of not exist on that platform. Um, and it hurts our, kind of makes it hard to grow from the back end. So if you've listened to this podcast and you enjoy it, number one thing you can do for us right now is give us a review, a written review on Apple Podcasts. And I'll say that we're, we'll do a giveaway as well. Sometimes it can take a little while for the Apple Podcast review to actually be displayed. There's like a processing time, probably gets checked. We'll do a, a giveaway. I don't know what the giveaway is going to be yet, but we'll make sure it's, it's very big in terms of like EV, probably something over, over a hundred dollars. Um, I'll see what I can get my hands on. But if you want to get entered into that, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a five-star review or, you know, four-star, whatever you think, if whatever you, whatever is appropriate for you. And we'll run a giveaway uh, for those submissions. We'll also read out some of the reviews on next week's pod. So if you're interested in that, check out Apple Podcasts. Um, and yeah, we appreciate everybody leaving comments on YouTube. Our last, our last podcast did super well. I mean, honestly, the channel is doing amazing on YouTube. So that's a big shout out to all of you. And uh, yeah, hit that hit that subscribe while you're there. We're really close to 1,000 subscribers, which is awesome. So appreciate you all once again. I'm at BrendanAPG on Twitter, at Moyen underscore HS, at Colatech underscore CG. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.